did you see this like new missile well not new missile they've been using it since 2017 but like i guess the the schematics just came out for it today it's a missile that instead of like exploding like you know bombs do it shoots out swords what like it so it's like a modified hellfire missile that like it, it i guess they shoot it into a war zone or like into like a bunker or whatever um probably into like a wedding or funeral to be honest it's america and like instead of just exploding like you know like a normal bomb it just shoots out swords and they're trying to frame it as more humane and I, listen i'm not i'm not a bomb it, expert. it's more humane to like pack a bomb with fleshettes what the hell is that look look i'm not a bomb bomb expert I, yeah. I would never pretend to be a bomb expert so it may be like technically more humane like it may in it may in truth lead to less casualties but that's some of the most sinister sounding shit i've ever heard in my entire life it's a missile that shoots out swords that sounds like it was designed by like a kid whose parents just were just divorced and they're having everything <laughs> out yeah so it sounds like something that was designed by like somebody who watches way too much like early 90s era anime yeah it sounds like it was made by Nazis, to be honest. Like, well, but yeah. like, but but not even like like normal Nazis, but like Iron Sky Nazis on the Moon Nazis. <laughs> well, I guess yeah. center of the Earth, if you believe in hollow Earth theory. But we don't. We're not going to get into that. No, I hadn't heard about that. But uh, now that I know, um, that's just another reason to like shit my pants before I go to sleep. I mean, we're not going to shoot bombs into Canada, I guess. You are Canadian, right? Uh, you know that we have a lot of oil here, right? Eh, not as much as Venezuela. Uh, oh, fair enough. Fair enough. But, uh, but we I are mean, closer. I- I guess, you know, the, the but you are neighbors to the north. I'm actually surprised. I'm glad that I have a Canadian on the show. I've been accused of being a little bit too Americo-central in my my coverage. And although I am surprised, I didn't realize that there were any black people in Canada. <laughs> I thought that's why you sent you sent all of your racists down here to do their racism. Uh, well, uh, that's a lot of people are actually under that impression. I, I went to high school and a bit of college in Florida and um people knew that I was of Jamaican background. So I remember this one white student in my physics class in high school seems to be like, so how, how did Jamaicans get up to Canada? Like, were your parents on the fucking bobsled team or something? It's like, no, there's no, there's actually a pretty lengthy history of, of black people in this country. A lot of them were actually descended from slaves that ended up fighting on behalf of the British and the loyalists were sent into Atlantic Canada. And a lot of us ended up coming in from the, from the Caribbean colonies. So there's a lot of us here. Well, I would even imagine like a lot of people who like a lot of slaves who escaped from the South to like Canada to escape slavery before, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Like a lot of them ended up in a lot of them ended up in the prairies. Um, a lot of them ended up actually in uh, in like South South and Southwestern Ontario. As a matter of fact, uh, the, uh, the the cabin that Uncle Tom's cabin was based on is in uh, a town that my uncle comes from called Dresden. Wow. Yeah. Which is in like Southern Ontario. So yeah, there's a pretty deep history. Like if you go to like places like Chatham or like Amherstburg in Ontario, which is is not too far away from the uh, from the, um, the the Detroit border. There's like groups of people uh, that are descended from U.S. slaves. Like uh, this lady who uh, did photographs of my daughters. You know, they recently turned one years old. Uh, so my partner and I went to uh, to this photographer, and and she was like well recommended. And it turns out she's like the great great granddaughter of Marianne Shad. Like there's a pretty lengthy history here. That's really interesting. I mean, we don't need to go into the whole history of black Canadians. I mean, I'd be interested in that. And so I'm sure there's probably a lot of books about it. 
So I'll, you'll have to get your, your advice <laughs> about that one a bit. But I, I am glad that you joined me for a variety of reasons, not only because you're black and Canadian, but because you're but but because you're one of the only people I know besides like David, obviously, uh, who you went with, who actually were, was able to view the uh, Peterson Zizek debate. I've been pronouncing his name right. I thought I've, I've always heard people who I trust pronounce it Zizek. Yeah, uh, I've, I've only ever ever heard Zizek. And 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 by the way, like by no means am I an expert just because I was there in attendance in person because I was also blasted out of my fucking mind. Like, which is the only only real way you could watch those two men debate. I mean, obviously, it, it really. I was I, I was incredibly faded when I went to go see Avengers Endgame last weekend. So really, <laughs> yeah. it's basically the same thing. It's bo- both both events involve titans, just titans of very. Various uh, magnitude and sort and genre, I guess, uh, engaging in the field of ideas, the marketplace of ideas in good faith. But, you know, but like I think being there is a little bit different than watching it online because it, it, I'm of the opinion that viewing events live, whether they be sports or I don't know, uh, wrestling or boxing, I guess it's all sports, but like, or even plays, theater, like it creates a unique experience, you know. Uh, yeah, it, yeah, yeah. Like being there in per- like there is something to be said for watching an event as it happened versus watching it like streaming online. Like I know people were paying something like ten dollars or something to watch it streamed online. And granted, while you are like there and you're participating and you're watching what's happening, um, I think that like being there with a bunch of friends who are just a, a bunch of like intellectual assholes kind of lends its own experience to it versus like watching it at home you know, by herself because like, you know, my, my best friend is sitting there tweeting next to me. He's like, make, he's cracking Hegel jokes, which I, I, I'm not going to, I don't understand a single one of the jokes he tweeted. Um, but there's, and, and, you know, just being able to like pull apart their ideas in real time. Like, you know, as Jordan Peterson is like, uh, you know, giving us his walkthrough, uh, for his skimming of the communist manifesto for the first time in like 40 years. Um, you get to understand that he doesn't really understand the source material very well. It's the stuff like that. Like we, we can, we can, we can discuss that with each other instead of waiting until it comes out in a think piece later. Well, yeah, you know what? Like, let, let's let's actually well, let, let's start from the beginning, right? So, I, I'm I agree. I think it's great that she went with friends. You got to do a little mystery race science theater with Jordan Peterson. Um, <laughs> I I don't want to pat myself on the back too hard, especially since I just deleted all my tweets. But I would say, and actually, this was the only tweet I was sad to see go of all my many many tweets. The the my uh, my Zizek Peterson debate tweet from. I would say over a year ago when the debate was first announced, because it was, it was initially announced for like October of last year, then it was pushed forward for whatever reason. And I remember when I first heard about it and uh, ostensibly some people were taking it very seriously. Mm-hmm. They were like, and not seriously as in like, um, ha ha ha. Like not seriously. Like they seriously, like it's going to be a great thing to watch, but seriously, like, Oh, this is going to be an actual debate between like Titans of like, of thought, you know, two, two smart people debating ideas. Yeah. Yeah, like ostensibly, uh, like two of the most well-known public intellectuals in the world, possibly. Yeah, uh, you know, I, th- I think one of one of the two of them deserved that title a little bit more than the other. But we'll get to that. Um, so I guess, for, so, but I was incredibly cynical about it. Um, in so far as that I I kind of knew I was going to expect, and I would say that my my expectations were reached. But I, I'm curious as to what you thought was going to happen when you walked in before you got blasted on on what I can only assume was like some sort of Canadian whiskey. <laughs> no, it was craft beer. We're really into the craft beer up here. Uh, we're not much different than Brooklyn in that respect. But um, the uh, I didn't really have high expectations. Like I didn't think I was going to walk in there and see like Jordan Peterson destroys a Marxist or like 
Zizek, this destroys capitalism. I, I, I don't think any person that's ever watched or listened to the two of them would walk in with that expectation. As a matter of fact, like it was more like uh, a bit of a personal curiosity and, and a bit of journalistic curiosity for me. I just wanted to like I, I walked in almost with no expectations. I just wanted to see how they both pulled each other's ideas apart um, and how they analyzed it. And that's that's probably the only reason that I live tweeted the whole thing because it was because um, like a lot of people were saying that, you know, this is just putting money into the pocket of a, of a crypto fascist and you know that uh, it's 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 not going to solve anything and i thought no that's that's a pretty like nihilistic way to think about it there obviously is something that's going to come out of this whether it's intentional or not uh so what i was hoping to happen was to see um peterson's ideas interrogated i was also hoping that somebody would finally force zizek to come to a conclusion if not a prescription uh he, he doesn't generally do that he tries I, at least in my experience of him, generally stays away from prescriptions, likes to sort of like pull ideas apart and like unpack it, like reverse fractal geometry. Um, but he doesn't actually do much with it. It's almost like he leaves it up to the reader or to the viewer to make of it what they will. And I was I was kind of hoping to see either of them push towards um, having to take a position or having to defend a position. I guess that makes sense, right? Uh, I'm not the world's biggest, uh, closest reader of Zizek. I find him kind of annoying. Um, it's, it's the sniffling thing. Honestly, the only the only prescription that <laughs> yes, he needs and is the, and, and the lateral lisp. Yeah, that too. Well, I mean, I can't listen. I can't. Uh, I his, can't comment his, on his lisp. His idiosync- <laughs> no, he he certainly has some like some you know vocal idiosyncrasies that I I could see it being an obstacle to people listening to him. But yes, the 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 constant sniffing that that is also a thing that uh, at least I've I've seen turns people off. I mean, frankly, I just, that nigga just needs a prescription for nasal spray or, I don't know, <laughs> some, some pregnizone, whatever. I, I guess – no, I agree with you, right? Um, insofar, I think that Zizek is kind of like – he's a meanderer in some time when he talks. Like, 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 he, like he leads you through like thoughts and ideas and he like – but – Oh, he honestly, takes you down the garden path. And if, I was I was watching um, – a uh, a YouTube video of him. He he did a presentation at like Google. This was from like like ten years ago or something. And what I didn't realize was how long he's been using these same metaphors, like these really super vulgar metaphors to 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 like illustrate very like minute um, observations. So the one where he talks about the uh, the toilet. That is when he goes to Germany. The toilets are constructed in a different way as opposed to France which are constructed in a different way um, as opposed to the United States. And what he's he's talking about the way that people sort of synthesize ideas, but he does it in like the most vulgar way possible, which is, you know, your shit either sits on a shelf, i.e. in uh, Germany, or it goes like directly into the hole. So it's out of sight as quickly as possible, i.e. France, or it sits in a basin of water to be flushed down when necessary, i.e. the U.S. Um, he was he actually gave that that analogy at uh, this this talk for Google um, back in like 2009 or 2007 or something like that. So it was uh, interesting to watch him play his old hits. Well, yeah, I think honestly, anyone who's familiar with Zizek knows that he's been using the same jokes for about 30 or 40 years now. Um, he's like, he's <laughs> yeah. yet to evolve on them. Yeah. And I, like, but that, you know, that is what it is. And, in terms I, of, like, I've only been paying attention to him for like five years or something. Like I'm not like a, an expert by any stretch, but I've only started reading his books about, I think maybe like 2013 or 14. Like in reality, he's a mixed bag. Like, right? I mean, like, I, he has a, he has, I would, I would not 
I have to say he has some good ideas and like, you know, he, but at the end of the day, you know, good ideas, bad ideas, like he is. And I think this is where my, where my prediction for a debate kind of maybe rubbed some people the wrong way. But I, even I'm kind of like creating straw because I think most people kind of agreed with me, obviously, which is why I did so well, which is that like, like him or not, right. Zizek knows what he's talking about right it's like you might not in so far as that he is engaging with the material in front of him and analyzing it you may disagree with his analysis you may think that you know he is reactionary in some ways and he is reactionary in some ways he has some like really weird i not really weird he has some really shitty ideas on like identity and like pc culture the critique of pc culture you know a lot of you know for a variety of reasons but I like, think, yeah, I think his his critique of, and I'm sorry not to interrupt you there. No, I think his Please critique do. of PC culture is that is just like grumpy old man shit. Like, and you know, like coming from an Eastern European, it's almost something that you would expect. But I think it's also a reaction to the way that um, his analysis is sometimes misinterpreted, which I think is fair. Like, I think he comes to incredibly ineffectual analysis sometimes, especially where it comes to things like race and obscenity. Um, you know, this is a dude who thinks that, like, you know, making obscene and racial jokes with people that you might not even know that well are a way of bonding. Like, it's not – he doesn't come to very correct conclusions, but at least uh, – how do I put this? Like, it's it's it comes across to me as, like, honest inquiry. Um, and I think sometimes what he says gets misinterpreted by people, and he gets super mad about that. So his response to it isn't necessarily just to respond to his critics, but it's also to say, you're saying this because you're the PC police trying to cuff my thoughts. I mean, if I'm going to be a little bit masturbatory, it's just like that is like that particular thing is kind of an academic thing. Yeah. yeah, uh, yeah. Like, like, like like this, like this desire to kind of engage in thought experiments and like weird social experiments and sort of like just like weird and, and have your like weird eccentricity, even like inappropriate uh ideas you know all treated in earnest good faith like you know hey like i'm going to engage with what zizek is saying even though he's dropping the n-bomb is like an it's kind of like i, I don't want to like excuse the entire set of academic things i'm not trying to excuse it but like it's indicative of a certain like, academic mindset that like that values curiosity necessarily over i don't want to say political correctness because that's, that's just a fucking like canard at this point but Pro, over I think like propriety. context yeah like, it's, like, it's, sometimes, it's, sometimes it's context it's like it's, yeah. like it's refusing to engage with the larger context of the world and instead f- trying to argue people should be should engage entirely with the content with the with the pragmatic rather it's 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 trying to engage like in a, a semantic argument, like with people in so far that you want people to engage entirely what you're saying, uh, as like as a critique, a social critique, a cultural critique, um, but like not really engaging with the pragmatics of what you're talking about, right? Like you know, like the 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 environment which your critique is being lobbed in, yeah. right? Which is like you're like you're critiquing that environment, but you want people to sort of act as though like they are aware of it, but you're not being influenced by it in any way. It's like it's so you know it, it's that is what it is. Uh, insofar as you know, going back to the sort of Peterson's role in this. Um, where I thought the schism for me, or rather, it was going to be obvious, it was going to be a problem, or at least not very elucidating, uh, or it, not necessarily not interesting, but like at least not elucidating in terms of like two people unpacking their ideas, is because I was a hundred percent sure that Jordan Pearson didn't know what the fuck he was talking about. At least when it relates <laughs> to this, it's like, and I think that was the thing that people kind of people who on like people who on the outside like consciously 
should know better and i guess did know better like i still think there was a little bit of a little part of a lot of people who thought to themselves well, well this is a professor this is someone with a phd and this is somebody who you know i, I think to sort of leave the public intellectual part out of it you know more yeah. or less like this is someone who has like a, a high profile like he's made his career more or less critiquing marxism you know critiquing but he so hasn't like, though like yeah, he, he hasn't he he okay he made his popularity critiquing marxism but not necessarily his career keep in mind like his his uh field of study like you say that he has a phd but that doesn't mean a heck of a lot. I was actually having a, a conversation about this with a, a friend of mine who uh, is a, uh, uh, a PhD candidate um, and an assistant professor. And so, she, like, there's a lot of deference that we give to people. And I'm sorry, I shouldn't say candidate. She has her PhD. But um, there's a lot of deference that we give to people that have these advanced degrees. But the thing is, like, it's also a very narrow area of study. So, no, Peterson has not made his career uh, making a critique of uh, communism or Marxism. He's made his career as a psychologist. Well, no, I mean, and there's, there's, a, there's, a, there's, a, there's a very narrow range of stuff that he's that's going to be put in front of him that he's actually going to study. And you can see that when you know he gets up in front of an audience and says, well, I haven't actually read the Communist Manifesto since I was in high school, but has like these vast and sweeping pronouncements as to what, uh, you know, is happening in academia and what's happening in the greater public that, you know, cultural Marxism, which is a, an incredibly anti-Semitic dog whistle, you know, this is uh, sweeping across academia and it's leaking onto the general public uh, to the point where it's going to make ideas and designations illegal. Well, no. I, what I meant was that he, like, he made his career as a public intellectual with the uh, ostensibly because he was not necessarily a, a critique of Marxism. You're right, but a critique of you know, sort of a cultural Mar- not Marxism itself, obviously, because there are obviously people who you know who have made their careers critiquing and developing the ideas of Marxism. There are plenty of like people who do that, right? Uh, he was, you know. A lot of some of that is what postmodernism actually is, right? Which is why, you know, sort of his pronouncement of like the postmodernist neo Marxist, like, well, you know, if yeah, you were, the two if don't you were, really match up. It's like, it's like those, like those people do exist, and like, and their scholarship is, has been largely about like marrying the two together, you know, in a, in a way that is coherent, but you, that's not what you're talking about. It's like, but ultimately, um, you know, like he has made his, like his sort of creates public intellectual, I would argue, and I guess it's true, more or less, as like being like a, another cultural critic right like his career in the the public spotlight is not so much about his work in i believe what clinical psychology because the people who i know who are you know who do do work in clinical psychology who are clinical psychology phd students or phds or you know phd candidates like they say his work in that field is more or less all right like it's like it's fine and what that does no, but I think you're right on the money in some sense. Like that PhD that he does have, it does signal to people that he is somebody that, that you know, people he's somebody you should that, that you would imagine has a level of expertise, right? At the very least, that you would imagine that he's sort of broadly speaking, like smart. Right, like, you know, like, he like you know, people they don't just hand out PhDs usually, except the Sam Harris. Uh, you would imagine <laughs> you would imagine that that like that they're like that he's smart, but. I, I again, I would argue that that's like that's that like that's just people sort of being in in some ways not really understanding what the PhD is, which is like a master, like you said, of, of a of a very small slice of information. Like you've mastered and you've expanded on a very small slice of the totality of human of human uh and like human knowledge. But I, I do I like I, I will reiterate. I think people came out and were like, "Oh, but these are these are two like academics who are going to have an academic conversation." But I was like, you know, I think that it's a mistake to think that Jordan Peterson, even with the PhD, is any more able to articulate a critique of Marxism as your, you know, 
than your everyday average like internet like frog troll it's like i think what he does have is like you said you know a phd in a kind of a semi-related field um and he does have the ability to sort of appeal to the authority to sort of index authority with that phd and that exists within you no, know, and he's Canadian. God knows Americans love racist Canadians for some reason. Oh but my also, gosh, it's like our biggest cultural export besides yeah, hip hop like, music. It's like, yeah, like, you, you have snow and you have fucking David Frum. <laughs> it's just yeah. like I, I bet, I bet, Sorry. I would imagine just like you know, I could, could you imagine like David Frum doing Informer at karaoke? It'd be crazy. I, I would actually be very surprised if he already hasn't. But people would lose their minds. Absolutely. But no, yeah. I, I think I think that's the really like you know that that PhD in his position, his social position as like a professor is i think a key a key component of like why he's been so successful even if his phd is not in the field that would that would use that would give him any insight to what he's critiquing right and by that i mean it's like the the far right is incredibly insecure you know the intellectual dark web whatever i mean i guess that was his that was sort of his like weird teenage mutant Ninja turtle thing they like they are incredibly insecure about their lack of place within academic spaces like they are incredibly insecure about the about the fact that like you know that they get so upset about oh did you know like that most social science professors like or really all of them or like humanities professors like like are none of them are republican obviously it doesn't apply to canada but none of them are republican you know like there's like there's like one social there's like one republican sociologist like, like they're like they're very desperate for that kind of positionality in academia because a, a lot a because I think that you know the the idea of like Jewish professors a la cultural Marxism indoctrinating like the youth the youth into liberalism is has become very ingrained in those spaces but also I think because like they just have a very Gramscian notion of power ironically because he definitely if he hasn't read fucking Marx he definitely hasn't read Gramsci yeah but they yeah. Have, they they have a very Gramscian notion of power and like you think okay you know conservatives broadly speaking control every aspect of our society you know they control the government they control the police they control the military like those are all run conservatively and if you like sort of expand your definition of conservative to include like neoliberal the entire like the the, the neoliberalism and, and neoconservatism are like the two most hegemonic ideologies in the entire world but they get very insecure about the fact that they like, that despite that that they feel as though they are underrepresented within two real spaces entertainment in mass media because of the liberal media in academia and so they that that leads them to like glom onto any like bullshit dumbass like professor or any like terrible comedian that runs across their path that is like willing to sort of espouse uh vaguely reactionary thoughts either, either with or without a gloss of you know faux intellectualism faux his, like faux philosoph- philosophical uh, insight faux faux historical insight like they like they love that stuff and it's, it's just deeply rooted into anxiety at it, least in my opinion it is but it's it's actually kind of weird because like there's okay we assume that in the academy that professors are mostly liberal or at least are not are not concerned but that's not true that they're i mean maybe they're not they don't self-identify as Republican, but I don't think you're going to really find a whole lot more like conservative spaces than like a history department at your average university, you know, or the, a more neoliberal space than your average uh, business program, like your average MBA, MBA program. You know, there, like, there's, there's a lot of... Uh, uh, maybe not far right, but I would say like center right, or at least, you know, the, the least you could say is conservative spaces within universities 
I, you know, I, I, you know, as a as a, uh, a former uh, poli sci student at University of Windsor, I mean, I remember my first few years of school um, was punctuated by uh, having to. Uh, read and then reread, keep on coming back to Samuel P. Huntington's Clash of Civilizations, which is, if you, you know, really analyze it, is like one of the most racist texts that were produced, that was produced in the last century. Uh, and this is, this is the framework that a lot of uh, neoconservatives operate off of. So it's, it's, it's not even to me that um, they're insecure about not having a foothold in the academy. I think it's more so that they, they haven't quite dominated the academy to the extent where the hegemony extends far enough uh, that students are just by default, also indoctrinated into conservative thought. Um, I think you'll find that in a lot of, like, say, business schools. I think you'll find that in law schools as well. Uh, as a matter of fact, um, uh, the Law Society of, of Canada. We just had we just had a, a pretty uh, large dust up among lawyers in Ontario uh, regarding a statement of uh, 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 regarding a statement that was uh, that, that was petitioned um, so that you know new lawyers would basically just make a pledge that they're going to. Um, not promote, not even that they swear to uphold social justice standards, but they're not going to propagate racism, propagate transphobia, etc. Um, so there, there is, I think, uh, there is an insecurity, but I don't think it's the insecurity due to absence. I think it's the insecurity that there isn't yet total domination. Uh, same thing goes for, I think, for the entertainment industry. I mean, um, comedians are you know, reflexively anti-SJW. Like, I, I don't know if you saw that uh, cover from Nick DiPaolo's album. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, that was great. Oh, did my you, did God. You, did, you, did, you, did, you, did you hear about how, like, so he made that cover himself, apparently. Yeah. And one of the people that, I mean, it shows, obviously. And so, like, he must have just Googled, like, Black Lives Black Matter Lives people. At, and then Black Lives Muhyiddin Moyes, yeah, Muhyiddin Moye, who uh, uh, you might remember from the uh, the YouTube video, like, ran and, like, snatched a uh, uh, flag out of out of uh, out of Nazi hands. I believe it was at Charlottesville, but I could be wrong here. But I'm pretty sure it was. Um, and he actually he he died. Like he was uh, he was killed. Well, yeah. You know? Uh, I mean, and, I mean, a lot of those Black Lives Matter people, especially the ones from Ferguson's, are either dead or in jail. Oh yeah, yeah, like Darren Seals. I mean, that's th- that's fucking Deray. <laughs> <laughs> that vest must be bulletproof or, or, or something. <laughs> no, it's um, you know, I have my thoughts on Deray, but I don't want to get into them too deeply here. But I will say that you know, the people that I have either been in communication with or, or heard of um, that were on the ground and live in these communities where black uh, where Black Lives Matter protests uh, flared up, i.e., Ferguson, Baltimore more, et cetera. Um, you know, the people on the ground, I think, um, have been drastically overlooked, you know, to the point where some of them are still in jail from the protests and some of them are still facing uh, court challenges. And where is where's the help for them? But that's a, a whole other of, kettle of fish. No, I mean, a lot of them have just been assassinated and like un, or died under mysterious circumstances. Circumstances, yeah, and yeah. Which, and which I mean, it's a weird thing to have to talk about because ultimately speaking, I think we live in a society uh, where, and I hate saying that for that sentence, we live in a society where like when you say things like they have died under mysterious circumstances, like you see, you feel like a conspiracy theorist. And then, then you like realize like you sort of like take a step back and like think about it objectively. You go, oh, but like this is actually a thing that like the cops do. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. It's like, it's like, it's like even with like the Venezuela thing where it's like you know like you feel like a conspiracy theorist saying like hey you know like the fbi or cia or whatever agency is creating fake you know twitter accounts to harass people who are 
advocating for peace in with Venezuela, or at least advocating to not get involved in a coup. And then you go like, but they go, that sounds crazy. Then you take a step back and go, oh wait, no, but they do that. Yeah, like in the great, yeah, the greater scheme of U.S. foreign policy, like this is completely not out of step with them. And same thing in Haiti, like you know, you hear that there's uh, there's U.S. mercenaries in Haiti. It's like, man, get the fuck out of here. This is, it's some conspiracy theory shit. Until it actually does happen, like there are actual mercenaries that are being placed for for counter revolutionary strategies. I mean, like any any country that would design a, a knife bomb is, <laughs> is, 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 is at this point like beyond a satire. But but here's what I will say to what you were saying before. I agree with you, right? I think that as people on the left, we can look objectively at all of our institutions, whether they be academia, which has a lot of capitalist imperatives, as well as just being generally speaking, you know, affected by hegemonic ideals, uh, the police, the in the industry, you know, I'm sorry, the entertainment industry, all these things, and we we see we see it as like you know more or less at best making slight gestures towards uh, uh, tackling misrepresentational oppression right you know you like we, we have more black people on shows we have black panther the movie which was all right you know we we, we have we have you know jordan peele making horror shit um and like you can say okay well like they're doing stuff like that and i think that like you're right it's like it, it, but that's the part that freaks them out, right? Like, really, when you talk about, you know, the the liberal hegemony or the liberal media complex, what they're really saying is that they're just mad that you can't say nigger anymore on TV. Or, or like, or that you, or like, they're not talking about any sort of, like, actual, you know, like, the social sciences actively having a like power over the military industrial complex like for the most part and you know you get in trouble with saying like social sciences are you know teach a little bit more like self-reflexiveness than say stem fields but it, i mean it's true like you, you have to have a you can't get through like a sociology undergrad without at least without being able to define racism theoretically if you engage earnestly uh but like they just don't like those parts i mean if you think if you think about like how jordan how jordan peterson became like became internet famous to begin with it was all about like him him, and, and I, I found this out like on like a fucking on like a live show. Someone was telling me about this. It was basically all of like he became famous simply because he refused to make even the most token gesture towards like inclusivity, like, like uh, tackling misrepresentational oppression. Like he ref- like, it was just because like what Canada said that she, like Canada basically said what like public servants or public people who like, have government jobs had to respect people's pronouns, which is like the most like the simplest thing in the world. And he was like, he was like, I would rather go to jail than like be forced to like to misidentify a man as a woman. That was like, and people were like, dude, like stop freaking the fuck out. Like you're not going to go to jail. He's like, I would rather die in prison than call someone with a penis a woman. It's like, dude, like you are taking this incredibly seriously. Yeah. Just for like, but like, but you're a public servant. Will you please just like respect this? Like it wasn't even a law. It was like a memo. It was like a memorandum. Well, keep in mind, like this is, I mean, th- you know, this is this is. Not- not new philosophy. The idea that when a subordinate or an oppressed people begin asserting their rights, like when, uh, you know, uh, we whipsaw back far enough from complete and utter domination towards being able to assert our own rights, then it comes across to the dominant group as if they're being oppressed. Like that's not, that's not new. Um, and But he marketed that so well. Uh, at the onset, it was, you're right, it was, you know, uh, the Canadian government was, you um, 
uh, tabling a measure that, you know, government employees respect people's pronouns, which you'd think like if, if you work in government, yeah, you should do that. Uh, but then he took it to mean that it just becomes illegal if you act, like if you were to like accidentally, you know, uh, uh, misgender somebody uh, because you weren't even sure you hadn't even met that person before that you could end up like, you know, clapped in irons and put in prison for a couple of years, which is absolutely untrue. He also um, was upset about, uh, you know, Black Lives Matter's increasing um, presence on University of Toronto's campus because, uh, you know, many of the activists uh, from Black Lives Matter Toronto were also U of T students. So um, I, I think he was annoyed at their presence on campus and what I think came across to him as their outsized presence. Uh, but then on top of that, uh, later on, um, Black Lives Matter stopped the uh, the float at the Toronto Pride Parade in protest um, because they had specific demands of Pride Toronto that they felt that the uh, the black community in Toronto, which is a, uh, you know, comprises a large part of our queer community, that, you know, we were basically being ignored and erased, which is a reasonable demand. Like, yes, if you're putting together this, this uh, parade that's supposed to celebrate, um, you know, the LGBTQ community, queer culture, et cetera, you can't do that without talking to black people or at least, you know, uh, censoring them. Um what Peterson did with that, though, was turn that into there is a crusade happening against, you know, traditional thoughts, beliefs, attitudes and behaviors. And if we don't put a stop to this, we're going to find ourselves washed away in the tide of SJW uh, political correctness. And well, yeah. I, I, okay, I, I, I guess like in some ways, I I'm not really that threatened by that because I've been like we've been seeing that. Uh, come out in so many forms over the last like four decades like this we're not any farther ahead than we were uh then we like say like back in the 1980s just like straight-legged khaki wearing conservative um traditional thought like this is pretty much all that he's espousing in a way i kind of um I don't want to say that he's better than the alt-right or that he's better than neo-Nazis, you know, as if like, well, we could either have neo-Nazis or Jordan Peterson, so I'll go with Jordan Peterson. But I think in a way, the utter nihilism um, that sort of envelops uh, that far-right reactionary thought, especially with the alt-right, especially with these neo-Nazis, et cetera, I think people are becoming worn out and exhausted by it, at least from what I can tell, because I actually like surf these forums and, and, you know, I, I just have a look and see what people are saying to each other. And I think what he does is that he magnetizes people towards like a more traditional center, which I wouldn't say is necessarily better or worse, but I think it has the, it has a lower chance of exploding into violent action. The thing that I um that I I got out of the uh, the Zizek Peterson debate though is that like he's like I said sort of gravitated these like disaffected, angry young men who were just like looking for something, like trying to grasp onto something to get some sort of sense of bearing in their lives. And it's like, oh, okay, well, we'll follow this guy who tells us to like straighten up and get our shit together, clean up our rooms, uh, you know, speak clearly. And when you watch him basically be deconstructed by somebody who's a master in rhetoric and has actually thought all of these ideas and propositions through to the very end, when you get the sense that like, uh, you know, when, when Jesus says, for example, you know, I need to see, like, show me some data, show me, give me some names of people that you consider these postmodern cultural neo-Marxists that are taking over the academy. And he even gave him a couple. He's like, you know, I know, I know of a couple of people that I might 
put under that umbrella, but I'm just curious, like, who are all these people that you're talking about? Peterson couldn't even give him a name. Um, where, you know, uh, Peterson is trying to explain, uh, you know, the uh, the the uh, the reflexive um, the reflexive anger that Marx and Engels supposedly had towards hierarchies. I don't think Zizek sort of like gave him a walkthrough as to like how Marxists view hierarchy, but I think he like in a very professorial way explained like, hey, listen, like I don't necessarily agree with the ideology either because Zizek is not an ideological person. He's actually very anti-ideology. But he gives a reasoned uh, critique of capitalism to the extent where Peterson had to say, like, well, you know, I kind of agree with you and you are a bit of a strange Marxist because he was expecting a dogfight. So when people um, that come from that reactionary right see that happening, it's like, wow, we really can actually engage with these people. And maybe this guy isn't the smartest person. Maybe he is not the Pied Piper after all. Let's see what else is out there. Well, I mean, I feel like... I'm inclined to agree with you in some in across the board on some of these things on like all of those things, and I, I but where I I I, think I would like to emphasize though I think it's not that even that Zizek has like thought these things through like you said I, it's mostly that he he's actually engaging with the material, mm-hmm. and I and I think that's where it goes back to what I was saying earlier where it's like you know to think that. Jordan Peterson, by nature of having a PhD in clinical psychology, is better able to discuss, like, you know, better able to articulate the, like, you know, like, like this, like, right, these right wing talking points in a way that is any more than sophistry is, you know, is a, is a, is a, is a mistake to believe that, right? Yeah. Because at the end of the day, it's like he didn't even read the book. Right. It's like at the end of the day, like, like, could you, know, you imagine him actually like reading and engaging with like Das Kapital? <laughs> I mean, I, I, I would, I would hope that he would have. So like, I seriously, do- I like, so seriously doubt it. Okay? He didn't even have a basic grasp of the he, Communist Manifesto. No, of course he did. But like, see, but see, like, I think that even, even though I had said like, oh, he's like seriously going to mop the floor with him. It's like even I had kind of expected that he had read, like, had read the book, right? Because like, mm-hmm. you know, he does talk about Marxism a lot, right? Like you said, Jack Zizek gave him a few names. He, he named David Harvey uh, and someone else. I can't remember who he named at the time. I don't know if David Harvey really counts as the postmodern neo-Marxist. Uh, you know, maybe a Marxian like if you were from like split hairs like maybe like a bell hooks might be like a postmodern neo-Marxist like that's my maybe like close Kamala Harris's father Donald Harris like maybe you could put him in that camp too but like, but, it's, but it's it's but really we know that you know like that like that category is kind of like SJW and also like you know PC culture like, I don't it's, even, it's, it's, I, but the thing is I don't even know that, that would, I would call that SJW or PC culture you know bell hooks is in her own ways a, a very conservative no, no, I, thinker no, no, I meant in more in the sense that, like, you know, like, for them, it's not a real thing. Okay, right? yeah, 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 like, yeah. I, I'm like, like, so like, there are, like, I guess you could say postmodern neo-Marxists. Like, there are people who can, you could say that in Brother. But for people like, for Jordan Peterson, it's like, it's, it's like, that's not like, that's just like, it's a coded term, right? Just like SJW is a coded term. It's a coded term for basically, like you said, like, all of these new movements and new sort of, not I want to say demands, but gestures towards inclusivity in even this public place, like the government and public places that he doesn't like, you know, it's described as, you know, cultural Marxism or SJWs or like, but anything that's meant to, like, you know, meant to stand for an influx of minorities into places that they know that they, that they used to not be able to be allowed in, in a position of equality or even just like a gesture towards that they, they should be allowed in those places. Right. I think that at the end of the day, it's like you, like you get this kind of thing with it. 
like Jordan Peterson, despite being, I would say, one of like the the the, the leaders of this uh, IDW movement, it's like he has the exact same problem as its members, right? And that he has like that he suffers from a very experiential worldview, and I think that he proved to a lot of people. Maybe they maybe they'll they'll wake up. Maybe they won't be because this tends to this. I guess maybe they will wake up to the truth about like the IDW and about a lot of these kind of like crypto proto uh re- proto reactionary crypto fascist whatever you, whatever you really want to call them i don't know that there's really a heck of a lot of crypto about it though like some of these people are just out and out fascist and the thing is like uh, and the other part is like i think a lot of people don't really have a, a really solid handle on what fashion it fascism is and what it looks like so i mean i, th- I think that's true i guess i guess it's not if we're going to split hairs about it i think i think a lot of these people especially people like jordan peterson it's like they're not crypto fascist in the sense that they're not like they're not like fascists who know that they're fascists who are actively trying to convince people to become fascists because i think you know you look at the alt-right you look at the idw you look at all of these like these these sort of amorphous acephalous like right-wing groups and you have to you have to come to terms with the fact that like if you feel like a thousand people or ten thousand people in like a forum like like a reactionary like an idw forum or i know reddit reddit idw maybe like 10, 10 out of that 10,000, I guess a one out of a thousand, there goes my math, there goes my math expertise, one out of a thousand people is like an actual out and out like conscious like Nazi or neo-Nazi or fascist, but they go into those places with the goal to launder their talking point, to launder their ideology into those spaces through a variety of mechanisms, right? They, they can use irony and, and that became a really popular thing to critique, like, you know, irony as a mechanism for like getting people into fascism. They can use like people like Jordan Peterson in the sense that they can like, or people who are fascist, but like are like not like Jordan Peterson. So you, a people, a person like us, like a Steve Bannon or a, uh, or uh, Jean Le Pen, right? Uh, Jean, uh, Le, in France, Maggie they, Le Pen, they, yeah, yeah. No, Jean Le Pen is her is her father. Oh, <laughs> like, okay, okay, they, yeah. yeah. Uh, he started the National Front. Mm-hmm. Um, like, they, they can use like you know uh, an alternative sort of an alternative history, a pseudo academic. An uh, analysis of society, but really they have a variety of mechanisms to sort of launder fascism into that group and get people, if not to become fascist, to at least mirror their like fascist talking points to sort of like to, to spout fascist talking points or fascist light talking points to the point in which they become indistinguishable from like you know crypto fascists. Like I, I I hate to say people get tricked into people get tricked into fascism because that's not true. That, that, that sort of absolves them of their responsibility. But a lot of people who are disaffected get tricked into you know. Uh, they get tricked into mimicking fascist talking points, <laughs> and that's how that trickology work. You see, that's the that's the that's the that's the that's the Yakubian cave trickery. Um, yeah, they, 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 they get they get Jedi they get fucking Jedi mind tricked into fucking saying things like SJW, like you know, like globalists are going to you know globalists are have or rather cultural Marxists are you know cultural Marxists are indoctrinating youths on campus into becoming SJWs. And then when you decode that, it's like, oh, so Jews are are like, are putting minorities into these institutions to ruin them, Oh my right? God, that's like, that shit happens up here in Canada. Like, so for example, like in Alberta, which people call the Texas of the North, and I don't necessarily think that that's true because Texas does have some liberal strongholds. I think it's more like the Mississippi of the North uh, if you had oil there. Uh, but in Alberta, they just recently had an election and uh, the uh, the governing party right now, which, which ended up, uh, you know, going to an 
a, almost a near total landslide, had candidates that were laundering white supremacist and white supremacist and laundering fascist talking points. You had one candidate that actually ended up uh, getting turfed as a candidate, but allowed to remain a member of the United Conservative Party, uh, who was having private chats uh, talking about you know the the issue of demographic replacement isn't being discussed enough in mainstream media. And then after she got turfed uh, as a candidate uh, and then replaced later on, uh, she goes on a radio talk show, which is like one of the most you know widely listened to uh, talk shows um, in the, uh, the Calgary region. And uh, she and the host, Danielle Smith, who was the former leader of the Wild Rose Party, which is like a, another sort of like uprising conservative party um, in, in that in that region. You know, she and Danielle Smith have a very friendly conversation about the need to talk about demographic replacement. And and the, the concept of demographic replacement, if you really think about that, that is really fucking fascist. What you're trying to say is that the the fact that there are less white people now than there have been previously, and Alberta is in no clear and present danger of having their white population outnumbered by anybody else. But if you're saying, though, that the people who are moving into uh, the province to take, let's say, oil sector jobs or service sector jobs, etc., if they're not white, then there is necessarily conflict, which goes back to what I mentioned before, that sort of Samuel P. Huntington mindset, where if it's if you're not a white person uh, living in this province, or if you have not assimilated into whiteness and been accepted by them, then you necessarily present a set of values and uh, and, and, and community prescriptions that are going to then dominate white people, make them the subordinate group. That is, that's messed up, but it exists in our mainstream media precisely because people hang out in these forums uh, they launder their ideas through people that listen to them because they believe that every idea needs to be listened to and heard out in the marketplace of ideas. And even if they don't necessarily believe what those same people believe, they end up repeating those talking points and then mainstreaming it. And then we have to talk about it. I mean, at the same time, too, it's like, you know, what also happens, and I, I hate to make this about like capitalism, but I, I will because, you know, whatever. <laughs> that's and what it, you're here for, right? That's just what you're here for, right? Yeah. I'm, I'm not going to like self-peddle it in. It's like a lot of it's also facilitated by the lack of coherent critique of capitalism within our media. Right. So, like, so, you know, you, you watch the news and you have these you, you have these com- we have these conversations about immigration. Right. About, you know, and we, we use the term immigration because we refuse to use the term like refugee mm-hmm. sometimes because like well, refugee when you would, even that even conflating, you know, refugees with immigration. Yeah, uh, that it, that in itself is a quasi fascist way of thinking. What you're saying is anybody who comes in from outside of this country is necessarily in opposition to my right to exist. Like the uh, the idea that if a refugee, if a, if a person leaves the and let's you know not even get into why it is that people leave the countries of origin to come to places like the United States or Canada or Germany or U- the UK to begin with, but if they come here, they're bringing something along with them. Not you know the the stitch of clothing they have on their back, not the food, the bare amount of food that's in their bellies, but they're bringing ideas and they're bringing um, uh, sort of like a uh, um, a presence about them that is a threat to the local population. Look, look, Andre, um, I've been listening to Jordan Peterson uh, speeches, and even though he sounds like Kermit the Frog, uh, <laughs> like he made the he made the point that 
immigrants from the global south, refugees yeah. rather from the global south, are, are coming, you know, from Guatemala mm-hmm. and you know, and, and various countries who uh, who knows why they're leaving? Only God knows, honestly. There's, oh, there's we no, have, no, nobody has any idea no, no why. One, they they, they just the, form together in like dense clusters and then migrate towards wherever white people are in for, order to yeah. apparently kill farmers and claim their land. No, I mean, well, that's part of it. You know, yeah. part of it is ostensibly white genocide, of course. Um, another part of it is they, they want to align themselves with the uh, the the trans propagandists uh, in order to in order to <laughs> make it. No, no. Listen, look, look. Don't don't laugh because this is the future. No, you're I'm laughing because I hadn't heard that before. That's, you're, that's you're, you're laughing at the future. But like, but you know, once once this plan is complete, if you accidentally misgender somebody, the 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 trans police, the 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 PC police will come into your place of work. They will drag you outside, strap you to a pole, strip the shirt off your back, and horsewhip you. They, 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 is they it will. a refugee holding the whip? Look, I mean, honestly, I I I don't know all their entire plan. Do they know how conservative? Like, if you come from like Guatemala or you come from Honduras or pr- just about anywhere in South America, do they, like the fact that they come from ostensibly uh, socialist political environments doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to be in alignment with trans people. They are incredibly religiously conservative. What is? I've, wow, I didn't I haven't heard that one before. That's new to me. Well, I mean, obviously, like like this goes back to what we were talking about about just the, the general the general appeal of a Jordan Peterson and how he's also a victim of his own I don't want to say success but like he's he's both it's like it's like those uh, those uh, like those uh, hair plug commercials. Like he's both the president and a customer, right? <laughs> he's, he's both the president and a customer yeah. of the IDW. Yeah. In the sense that, like, like the biggest, like, the, oh the god, appe- you just gave me this image of like Jordan Peterson, like swimming his fish belly white body through a swimming pool, and then just like posting up on the on the uh, yeah, on the, like putting his elbows over the lip and like running one hand through his hair and sort of like can, shaking the wetness off. And he's like, I'm not only a president, I'm a member of the IDW too. Can I be rude for a second? How is he? He's still alive. Doesn't he only eat meat? Eat meat, yeah. Yeah. Doesn't he like only eat meat and drink whiskey because he's because like, he has gendered vegetables? Uh, it's like it's like that's like, it's like it's like that's the kind. Like that, no, I know I'm I'm dead ass. I'm dead ass serious because like this, like this is the thing. It's right. Like you know there is this whole movement of of weirdos on the far right who may or may not be a uh, you know explicitly political in the sense that they have you know they're republican they're like trump or like they whatever but like there is like there is this element of the far right that i think jordan peterson fits better into than say like crypto fascists which is just like the anti-sjw like like what like what they are reactionary towards is like you know and this is like your dave rubens and like a lot of your idw people yeah. i think what, like, what they are reactionary towards is even the most minor gestures towards inclusivity and they, but but they're also incredibly stupid and like and have such like a child understanding of like gender that is, and sexuality. Okay. I, I hate and to so, interrupt you but that, just going back to your earlier point about the insecurity of not having complete dominance within academia, I think part of that insecurity stems from the fact that they're also fucking stupid themselves. Like they're not they're, smart people. They do not read. Like if you but so, but so, but have so, you so actually read have you actually read uh, Tell Us Wife? No, twelve uh, Jordan Peterson's book. Have you no, read that book? But I haven't read it. I haven't read all of that. I've, I've read excerpt, excerpts of it. Like okay. I think we know when. when okay, I've read a lot. Have, I've read a few articles on it. I have generally I, masochistic tendencies, and if I don't like you, like if you're if you write stuff and I don't like you, I will probably consume everything that you've ever written but, just so but, I have but, a reason to hate you and that I can take you apart. Well, here's the thing, and, though. Yeah. I, like I, I have I have a finite amount of time in my day, <laughs> so like I don't so I don't so like in reading takes time for me. Yeah. I like to, I like to engage in the text. You know, yeah. I, like, I like to like to read. And so, like, but the, but so I don't like I don't just read every like dumbass thing people write. But like at the same time, I don't pretend like I do. 
but like so, he, so but i think that what you said is a good point we're gonna get back to his book because we can talk about that in a second but like he doesn't read and i think that's what surprised a lot of people that he hadn't even read marx but he, here's why i say he's a but president the, the thing is the people in the audience they don't fucking read either they, they, but they don't that's why i said like he like he that's why i said he's not only the president he's a customer yeah. because like the, the most appealing part of like of the of that sort of broadly speaking the most ap- appealing part of like the alt-right and of all these sort of like reactionary movements broadly speaking we won't call them all fascist some of them are just dumbasses um they're just dumbass bigots right you know the most appealing aspect of that is that like their their sort of brand viability apart from like appeal apart from like you know drawing upon this widespread alienation that we know is the cause of capitalism but they frame as the you know as the, as the trans mafia conglomerating with guatemalans um of course i guess you know yeah I, yeah, yeah, I, yeah, yeah. It, doesn't, like, it doesn't make a difference but like, like so with this but it's like the the, the decepticons and like the rock lords linking up you know to like yeah. dominate the gobots that you that you we went a little far <laughs> like i like i that yeah, you it's, went a it's little like every cart every cartoon villain you could possibly imagine like they're all just like forming together like this unholy fucking voltron yeah uh, i mean like it's like it's like it's the lgbt le- legion of doom yeah, uh, exactly and so like it basically like so imagine if the planet tears were all like we're all like we're all cultural marxists like, like that's what it is you know like the 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 the, the left is the planet tears like they're a rainbow coalition of people trying to do white genocide anyway well, my point was this i'm just imagining like, like like i don't know if you play kingdom hearts but like all of the the way that all the disney villains just sort of like link up and hang out together talk about how they're gonna fuck up sora but th- that's that's actually like sjw people you know there's like there's there's hades who was like you know the the trans people because he's all vampy like that but then there's like 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 uh what's her name maleficent and just like every every like demon and villain and like disreputable character you can imagine just like they all we all just sort of like hang out together in the same circles and of course we actually agree on things because that's what the left does incredibly well the left gets together it arrives at consensus and it agrees on things and it takes organized action to take down traditionalist regular ass white people that's we're we're so good at that with our powers combined, <laughs> I am white genocide. <laughs> but like, but okay, so, like, so that actually fits into what I was going to say about Jordan Pearson, like in his appeal, and also like what, why what happened happened, right? At least there's a debate. And so it's this, right? In order for you to believe that all of these kind of disaligned in many ways and also contradictory leftist elements you know in terms of postmodern postmodernist and neo-marxist and in and, and marxist uh you know insofar that those are like you know like that, that those are people things that people are actually doing on like the left not just in academia right now i guess organizing or you know whatever um like are coming against you you have to have a very myopic understanding of the world and your place mm. in it and i think that really helps understand what happened right so a lot of times people describe the far right re- like reactionary as like being irrational lunatics and i think that we you know if we were talking about like oh yeah you know to believe that the that the far that that all of these that the, the quote-unquote that minorities and jews and gays and lesbians and trans people and non-binary people are all coming to just ruin your day like you have to have a very solipsistic understanding of the world and i think that the far right enforces that but that's also their appeal right so like so here's what i, what I mean by that is this it's like jordan peterson was absolutely sure that he 
was an expert on Marxism enough to engage with a Marxist scholar, right? Again, you can believe what you want mm-hmm. to be true about Zizek and his like we and his weird uh, deviated septum, um, but like he is a like, he is a Marxist scholar, like, like he just is, um, like you know it, it is what it is. Um, yeah. He was absolutely absolutely sure he could engage with him on his level, not because he had read Marx. He admitted to he admitted openly he had he really didn't read it, especially not closely. Uh, and Zizek called him out on that many times. He's like, you know, if you do a close reading of Marx, which is a nice way of saying if you've read it at all, <laughs> if you right, read it at right. all, if you would open a fucking like, book, like, like if you like if you were such an ignorant dumbass, maybe you would <laughs> maybe you would <laughs> maybe you would understand very these very basic principles of Marxism because it became less of a debate and more of like an intro an intro to Marxism like. Like it a, was a teaching. It was a salon. Yeah. Is what it became. And yeah. so, like, he was absolutely sure he was an expert because he had thought real hard about it. Like, maybe he had read a blog post. Maybe he had been engaging with other people who also did not read Marx. But at mm-hmm. a certain point, why he thought he was an expert on Marxism and on society was because he had just like internally to himself in his own experiences thought real hard about it and he was sure he was a smart person and i think that really speaks to the broad appeal of the far right is that it takes a bunch of disaffected people you know white black mostly white uh male female mostly mostly male um you know and it says to them look you are noticing all of these problems with the world and by the world i mean your life (laughs) um like you feel anxious you feel you know you feel disaffected you feel alienated you can't get laid And, you know, instead of going out and reading a fucking book or talking to people who don't look like you or who you would normally talk to, not that people who aren't reactionaries do that either, but theoretically, instead of doing that, all you need to do to understand the world around you and the problems with the world around you is your five senses. Like, that's that's all you need to think really hard about. Or your your gut instinct, which is, I've heard that one a lot. Your gut instincts, because you're a smart person. It's like, you don't need any of that fancy, any of that fancy Jew professorin. You just, you just need like your thoughts. It's like, you know, you like, you like, you don't need to listen to the globalists or the blacks or like racism is, is a lie. Sexism is a lie. Cause if it was real, wouldn't you, wouldn't you know about it? Like it, it basically it says that meme where it's just like, how can racism be real? If like, I'm sad. It's like, it's like a picture of, it's a picture of like a white person, like frowning. Yeah. It's just like, you know, it's like, it's like, it's like, it's, like, it's just confusion of personal experience with like objective truth. And that is reflected of course, a lot in their, like their rhetoric, which like, you know, with their, their, their constant like harping on logic and rationality but really what they are is like they're experiential like they're not irrational like they just base all of their they base all of their ideology in like what they think is true in their own like in whatever they can observe with their five senses instead of taking you know taking a, a bigger look at it i always compare it to flat earth theory because like i a because i think flat earth theory is funny but also because like it's a good analogy in my mind because the only reason people think the earth is flat at the core of it right you know like there are lots of different kind of arguments that are kind of like tertiary but at the core of it it's because like as a person as like an individual if you go outside your house and you stand and look into the distance the earth looks flat Usually, sometimes, you know, sometimes the curve, you know, depending on yeah what elevation you're at. But yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, but mostly it's because it's possible to with your own two eyes look out and and not see a curve. People are starting from that point and looking for information that verifies their own sensory observations, which, you know, that's like that's kind of the foundations of all science. But the problem where it becomes skewed, at least both in flat earth theory and also in, in, in terms of like reactionaries, is that they like they, you end up finding people like Jordan Peterson, like Sam Harris, like a lot of these these, these dingoes who are like who are like um who like who convince you that you don't need to engage with any outside sources like they can they convince you that, that you're able to understand the totality of history and geopolitics and like structures with your own two eyes and by the time they do convince you to start like engaging with quote-unquote outside sources they're just their own books they're just like the oh yeah rules by for that life. point you they're you're so fucking brainwashed that you can't take anything outside of what they say as 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 gospel or even as evidence like yeah, everything becomes uh, propaganda yeah. Everything that contradicts because of propaganda and everything that validates you is, is, is rationality. I'll give you an example of that up here in, in Canada. So in Ontario, which is <laughs> supposed to be or ostensibly is like, you know, the most multicultural, the largest province, the uh, the uh, the richest province, et cetera, et cetera. Like we're supposed to be like the 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 hip, the urbane, the metropolitan uh, based province. But the thing is, Canada is like it's pockets of dense like urban clusters um and then between like it's these these like few nodes of dense urban areas and it's connected by just like vast like vast sparsely populated areas that are so rural and pastoral in nature like it's we're an incredibly parochial place even though we're supposedly a more advanced and more tolerant place and in ontario we we recently elected a conservative government and in the um so the the former seat of power for the conservative government, uh, what it was Niagara West Glanbrook. In Niagara West Glanbrook, uh, that was where the former party leader Tim Hudak, um, when he stepped down from the party leadership because he failed to defeat uh, the yeah, the Liberal government, um, the the favored candidate in that area for that writing was Rick Dykstra. He used to be the uh, the party or the the leader of the Progressive Conservative Party. Rick Dykstra lost. And this is like the equivalent of a, uh, a primary. So, like the uh, the riding or the um, uh, the local constituency election, um, that is supposed to be like the party apparatchiks, like the uh, the big wigs who sort of step in. And even though it's it's ostensibly you know one member one vote, what actually happens is that the party big wigs step in and they like strong arm people into voting for the candidate they want. And they were completely overthrown by the Canadian Reformed Church who put forward their own candidate, which was like a 20-year-old kid. His name is Sam Oosterhoff. And so this, I'm talking about like this, this kid is, he's like, how am I going to describe him? He's like, uh, you know, those, those worms from Men in Black? Like the, the annelids, the worm people? Yeah. It looks like that. Like put, like put, uh, slap a nice hairdo and a pair of glasses on. Like he's just like this, he's just like built like a cinnamon stick looking ass little fucking twerp. And today, you know, after having, you know, been elected and, you know, uh, uh, being an MP, a member of uh, provincial parliament at Queen's Park and whatnot, there was a pro-life demonstration outside of Queen's Park. Now, the very idea that we're having pro-life demonstrations in Ontario in 2019 just blows my fucking mind. But he stands outside with the protesters and talks about, like, I'm, I'm here to stand with the pro-life people and then says that we're going to see an end to, an ab- to abortion in our lifetime. 
This is a 21-year-old. Oh, sorry, and he was elected, by the way, at 19. It wasn't 21. He was 19 years old when he got elected. This, this fucker has the institutional power to put forward um, private members' bills, basically to put forward a motion, if he wants to, to try and outlaw abortion. Like, he has that power. That was vested in him by this far-right reactionary organization. They've basically, like, wrested control. They've taken the reins over from establishment conservatives. They're driving the boat now. They're Kodak Black. It's crazy. Well, I mean, that, I, mean like, I don't know how it works up in Canada. Uh, I assume it's a lawless wasteland uh, where everyone... like where <laughs> It's like, actually supposed current... to be a well-ordered wasteland, yes, but it's supposed to be a well-ordered one. Well, you, well, you know, where, like, where uh, basically people trade maple syrup for for handies and, and, like, and rush... <laughs> now, that does happen rush... in rural Quebec uh, somewhere. I, I'm, I'm positive it still happens. And rush is the only music allowed to ever be played. Uh, um, okay, you're about 20 years behind times now. Like, everybody... Well... Everybody... I don't care like how like you know uh, traditional and white bread you are everybody's listening to Drake like everybody like your grandmother's heard of Drake I, I mean well yeah my grandmother's heard of Drake that's because yeah. she watched the I'm glad he's out of that faith where he pretended to be Dominican for like eight for like eight months <laughs> and I was like, like <laughs> yeah uh, that, that sort of like you know cultural chameleon thing has I think it's worn thin on everybody's nerves like that grime phase he went through like we were we were so tired of that it's so weird I mean I, honestly the only thing that like the only thing sh- the only thing that are is like I don't know it's, I, now I was gonna make a joke about him being kind of a pedophile. I, I can't, I can't, th- I can't think of a good way to segue. Yeah, we actually have very tight, uh, like uh, uh, libel and defamation laws in Canada. So you want to stay away from that one? Yeah, it's fine. Anyway, I was gonna say, I mean, but yeah. So I don't know how it works in Canada, but the the, the anti-abortion thing wasn't even like a real big wasn't even really on the radar uh, of like most christian groups until like the 70s more or less it was, like, it was like i mean they weren't like super in favor of it obviously but like it didn't become like this huge rallying cry until like the 70s or so when like the gains and this i guess this is also fathom's conversation we're having where like the gains that were being made on women the women's liberation front and the lgbtq community like, the, the minor gains being made in those like in those sort of on like the fronts of gender and sexuality led to a desire to start tightening like i don't know tightening rather led to any for like and, uh, and the uh, thing is like i don't think from the rally around yeah right? yeah well i don't even okay so people talk about it being like a reaction to the sexual revolution and while that that is true to to a great deal i think what it also uh is a reaction to is the idea that a woman can look forward to more than like being the counterpart to a man, like the, at least being the domestic counterpart to a man, you know, like uh, I was actually talking to a really good friend of mine uh, who is a, a journalist out in Winnipeg, Manitoba, which you have no idea where the hell that is, but it's like, basically, of course I don't. Okay. <laughs> it's our I'm like American. <laughs> it's our Minnesota, where? basically like our Minneapolis, Minnesota. Uh, so I don't even know where that is. Oh my God. You fucking Brooklyn people. Anyway, I'm just so, kidding. That, that's where, that's, that's where Elon Omar is. Big, big ups. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Except you know what? There's probably, there's actually a pretty thriving small community out there too but uh, uh, that aside um there's you know uh, a conversation that we had a few days ago and she said you know it's the one thing that i really do appreciate about living uh where and when i live right now is that i have the choice to pursue my career as a journalist whereas in my parents generation what was necessary for them was to go to school yes but they went to school not to get themselves educated but to find a prospective mate to settle down with like that was like that was 
putting themselves in the best position to find the best possible mate. And I think that, uh, you know, this, this pro-life logics is predicated on the idea that we actually don't have control over women's domesticity anymore. They can well, actually I, choose to remain outside the house if they want to. Well, I mean, definitely. I mean, we, I mean, but at the same time, we can even loop in. And I know these are, these are, those are two, these are two like, different socio material, like structures that I'm going to loop. I'm going to sort of I make an analogy to, I'm not analogy, but put it in the same conversation, put in conversation with, another, with one another at this moment. Like you can also loop in like black people too, in the crackdown on policing and it occurred like during the crack epidemic not the crack epidemic that's, that's an improper way to phrase it but during like sort of like the the the, you know, the war on crime the war on drugs you know the, the crime built late 90s a lot of that was also in reaction to like to just like to the, the civil rights movement same similar and and insofar as that what you see and i guess again this also ties into what we're talking about this entire time it's like these like these minor gains these incredibly minor gains that the lgbtq community has made that the the women's community has made that like the the black community has made that even the immigrant community has made all it served to do was put like a slight crack into the idea that there are naturalized underclasses for like to like the the white male essentially right like if we, if we if we talk about like racism as you know broadly speaking or rather we talk about like the, the appeal of racism the sort of explicit or implicit appeal of racism at its beginning it was more or less like a way to disguise the distance between you know it was um, it was among other I don't want people to get up my ass about this about like but like one of the things that it did rather was to does like to disguise or shorten the distance between rich white people and poor white people you know it was it was meant as a tool to give some kind of solidarity or some kind of implied solidarity or on the part of the poor white male right he was supposed to feel some kind of solidarity with the rich white male and also allow him to play like lord of the manor yeah, with his, like his yeah, one yeah. slave and his wife because no matter how bad he, things got he was always going to be better than like his to than black people right he was always gonna be better than women it was gonna be better than black people it, it just kind of blows my mind so a couple things happen here one is that um the type of masculinity that black men were portrayed to embody is like in vogue now it is it's strange and i kind of feel like white dude beard culture is like struggling to catch up you know what I mean? And I, I think part of that has to do with like the cultural shift towards like um, like black influenced art forms, especially in like music and entertainment. I think it has something to do with that. But there's just like a and I actually don't like it because it's coming across to me a lot like more like a fetish than it is an actual like appreciation for the art or like a tolerance of the culture. But like there's a um, I'm going to put this. Like these guys are just really upset and they, they have this impression that white women are leaving them for black men. When like the statistics completely disprove that, like, you know, 80% of black people, you know, marry and, and date other black people. Um, but then at the same time, this other kind of weird thing is happening where like black men are also on the retreat from their own masculinity because because on the one hand, they're portrayed as toxic and hypermasculine, et cetera, et cetera. Like on an intellectual level, we can at least dissociate ourselves from it and say, well, no, that's not true. And here are the statistics proving why. But I think at, at, at some like cultural level, we have internalized that and we kind of do really weird things like talk about like, you know, why black men should like, you know, we should have like charities to like provide suits for black boys, you know, so that they can like break the stereotype. Or we talk about like, you know, black excellence, or we talk about like, you know, how like, um, 
uh, like having more representation in media is a positive thing, which yes, it is, but it, it feels like a lot of it feels like, like, uh, we're trying to counter something like it's positioning whiteness and their their view of us as something to be overcome even within our own minds and that's that's actually kind of maddening for me you know what i mean like when i saw okay uh i'll give you an example so uh terrell j star uh, who goes by uh, Russian underscore Torrent? But I love Terrell. Listen, Terrell, I got I got Ter- nothing I, I got nothing against dude. I really Terrell don't. does more ac- accidental anti-Semitic things than I've <laughs> ever seen anyone do. It's like and and and, 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 and to be fair, I'll yeah. be fair. Like you know, I know I get I get accused because of my stance on Palestine and Israel. I obviously get a lot of accusations of anti-Semitism myself. And sometimes like you'll just say something in passing, and it'll, it'll be real fucked up. And I mean like you can just put anything right. Be like you you'll say something in passing, like oh Israel. Israel is like a big bully like they're like just like a big fat bully who's bothering and then like and someone will like fucking slide into your mentions and they'll be like did you know in this 1917 pamphlet written like written in in the uh, Krakow Poland they describe the Jew as fat it's like how how dare you like how dare you like perpetuate like uh, anti-semitic tropes it's like dude how the fuck would I have possibly known that it's like no it's like no one knows it's not a trope if no one knows it it's just, like, that's like the definition of a trope people have to know it like if you're quoting like a, a an obscure pamphlet from 1915 that was only printed with 15 like no one knows it on the other hand like Terrell Starr goes to like goes to restaurants where like like you have like, to, yeah, like, an actual anti-semitic restaurant which I didn't even know, yeah, like, I didn't even know there was such a thing I mean like I mean in, in Eastern Europe I mean in Eastern Europe yeah but like oh, yeah, I, goes, I know they he, fuck with the anti-semitism heavy there I just didn't know that like the idea of building a restaurant and serving people food and like there being an ambiance of anti-semitism was a thing that people did fr- fr- frankly frankly I think that like you know again i'm not i do a lot of dumb things to make a lot of mistakes uh i i you know but like at the point at which you go to a restaurant and they're like okay this is a traditional jewish restaurant and like instead of paying the bill you have to put on this yarmulke and haggle over the price in order to get the cheapest thing you got just like the Jew. you probably should have sensed something was up yeah because that that like that's a little bit on especially if you frame yourself as like an expert on the region well have you noticed that like he's re- sort of he's really retreated from that like that proposed expertise like positioning himself as the expert you know so he's he's now like it, you know, back in black spaces and making very sweeping pronouncements about how it is that black men especially operate. So, like, you know, he puts out this article and I kind of look at it like, so he goes to yoga classes, which is, you know, it's whatever. Like, I like yoga. I occasionally go to classes myself to limber up and whatever. Uh, you you as a lifter, you should also take yoga. Otherwise, you're... Yoga is actually not good for you if you're a lifter. Really? It's Pilates. Oh, okay. Okay. It's, 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 like, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a thing. It's because it's, 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 you, it, it's going to sound silly, but you want to be a little bit less flexible just like ironically mm-hmm. it's not good to stretch before you lift to finish your thought oh no, yeah so i was just saying that like you know he went to yoga classes which is whatever but then he writes this article for the root basically saying that like um the, the that going to yoga classes is good for black men in order to de- detoxify ourselves of these ideas of masculinity like you know people think that yoga is girly but it's actually not girly because i go on myself and here's what i it's like man like first of all I, I, you're doing too much, nigga. Calm down. Doing <laughs> like, listen, doing extra. I, listen. If you wanna, 
If you want to write off yoga as a business expense by writing about it, please go ahead and do that. But you don't have to marry that to this like stereotypical perception of black of toxic. You don't toxic got shucking. You got you got shucking job for me. I, I know the, I know the grip. Oh my god! Like, and then watching like people who are also yoga professionals jump into interventions, like you know white people too, who are like, oh my gosh, this is I I I didn't know that this was a thing in the community. Would you like to come and talk to me about it? And it's like great. Now you're just gonna go and spread this perception, you know, everywhere else. I mean, look. I mean, frank, frankly, and you said a lot, and I, I guess I'll. I'll, I'll move in like order of as I remember them. Yeah. Unless you unless you want to finish unless you have another you want to finish. No, it's just all, all I'm saying is that like this uh, this like this beating this constant retreat away from uh, being masculine. Like you know, I, I saw another one recently. Like just to you know, hop off, uh, uh, stop you know, stop stop stomping on Terrell's star for a second. You know, I saw another article that said that um, it was the same day too. It was the very same day saying that the the black barbershop is a space of homoeroticism and that black men's refusal to admit this uh, enforces hegemonic masculinity on queer people. Now, being somebody who's not straight myself, I looked at that and I said, what the fuck are you talking about? And, and I think that um, here's here's my perception of that. On the one hand, we understand that combating white supremacy is a net positive. Like that's what we're supposed to be doing. But on the other hand, I think some people in a way like desire whiteness, like they want whiteness to stop being so racist towards us so that they can gradually assimilate into it. And when I see stuff like that, it makes me think like you you can't actually fight the power structure of whiteness on your own. But what you can do is hurt the people around you by casting them as these like primal, these brute savages, these toxic, like if you, if you sit there and you actually honestly write a y'all niggas need yoga column, and you think that that's something that that's fit for public consumption? It kind of tells me like you don't actually have the the community interest at heart. Uh, so the first thing is first things first, right? I think is, generally speaking, you're talking about the like the influx of people of color and other groups that normally were outside of like the the you know public spaces who were excluded from public spaces into public spaces has constituted a crisis on the part of. The people who used to dominate those spaces, I, I, you know, white males in some spaces, white people generally speaking in other spaces, males in some spaces, et cetera, et cetera, right? You know, there's lots of intersections there. And so there is this, you know, immediate pushback. And, and I think, and again, you know, we're talking, talking about the far right, we're talking about like one of their main tools is, is conflation with, is, is conflating correlation with causation, right? So, and like, so when you have a media as America and I imagine Canada does too, that strips out capitalism, strips out the structure of capitalism from the analysis of what's wrong with the world. Because let's be perfectly clear, people, even if they're not Marxist, even if they're not socialist, even if they're not even consciously political, right? Even if they even if they consider themselves to be apolitical, they recognize for the most part that there's something wrong with the world. Right. And so a lot of people are especially because you know, whether or not they are you know, whether or not they are like materially deprived on the outset or they just feel alienated socially or feel alienated they feel like their position in the middle class, as many people do, is precarious. They feel like the, the you know, like their their children's future is precarious. And they they recognize something is wrong. And when you strip out the analysis of capitalism from that from that equation, what is left? Well, what is left besides like, hey, there is this influx of people who used to not be here. Yeah. Uh, now in this space, would that space be America? Would that space be my job? Would that space be my neighborhood? Would that space be you know my yoga class? And I mean, that's a story I, of reconstruction, really. And I think as a society, as a society, we oftentimes, you know, and this was one of the critiques of second wave feminism, is that we didn't acknowledge that like that 
when you loop in race to a lot of the into a lot of these these structures, the things that are necess- are different, you know, idolized be they take on a, like a different tone, you know, so to speak, right? It's like you know, black masculinity in America has never been the ideal. In fact, I would argue that like you know, it's impossible. It's impossible still, you know, despite what I say about Idris Elba's sexiness, it's impossible to be you know the ideal man and also be black, or rather, it's well, very no, very it's, hard. Uh, it's it's throughout history. It was as a matter of fact. Black men didn't even have the uh, the benefit of masculinity. We were, uh, I mean, black people were cast as the quote unquote feminine race, and of that's course. where the I phrase mean, that- masculinity comes from. Is because we don't have, uh, we don't actually have that white patriarchal masculinity in our households. Uh, so the way that we compensate for that is by imitating and aping behaviors. Can you imagine what these people are going to look like? Like they're just going to—they're not going to take. Oh, he's on an all-beef diet, so I can imagine what their fucking biopsy is going to look no, like. That's what I'm saying. They're just going to eat a bunch of meat on top of all the other garbage that they're eating, and just like their fucking blood pressure, they're like their systolic, uh, systolic and diastolic is just going to go through the freaking roof. They're going to—they're going to be like John Wayne on the autopsy table with like tons of just black tar just being pulled out of their bodies. Anyway, sorry. Go ahead. I, I, no, no. I was like, like dumbasses who believe that gender is natural. They tend to, they tend to like, they tend to gender nature, or like they like to natural, like or they gender the entire world rather rather than nature. I guess you you can sort of loop in, uh, you know, man made creations like cars are gendered, or like meat is gendered, and vegetables are gendered. But that's fucking stupid, obviously, because vegetables are hermaphroditic. But also, mm-hmm. I mean, all plants are. But r- 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 irrespective of that thing, it's so, like eating meat becomes masculine, eating vegetables become become feminine. Uh, same way in colonies, you know, colony, the colonial people. Well, they, tend they to actually be like feminize particular vegetables. Like if you eat soy, it's going to make you more feminine. Oh yeah, because like yeah, I mean, honestly, but it, they're so weird about that because like no one on the. And this is gonna sound mean again. I don't want to body shame anymore or be accused of body. I don't need anyone in my fucking mentions accusing me of body shame anymore. Anybody. But in reality, it's like the far, like the far right is entirely, entirely, entirely comprised of like the doughiest fuckboys. Just the, the most planet. like chinless like the fucks. Most, just the most out of shape, round faced, boyish looking motherfuckers <laughs> I have ever seen in my like entire the, the life. The idea that Tucker Carlson can go in on uh, what's that dude's name? Brian Stelter. Like he gets on, he gets in front of a camera. This dude who has never in his life looked into a mirror and seen a chin in the reflection has the audacity to get on camera and talk about somebody else's lack of masculinity are you out of your like these guys are generally a freaking joke when it like and and i I don't want to body shame people either but i'm sorry like i look at a guy i look at a guy like sam osterhoff or i look like uh, i look at like a tim pool or like even even like a like a ben shapiro or a dave rubin i'm like you guys are complete weaklings like it's not about it's not about I've, body shaming. i've taken about, like, shits heavier than these guys it's not about body shaming them it's about like they don't even live up to their own expectations of masculinity. that's what i'm talking these about the, yeah, yeah yeah these are the people who would benefit most from collapsing the gender like you have another canadian like stefan molyneux who like who talks constant shit Stephon, although stefan talking about is, like, iq and it's like, it's like stefan molecule is, is the one and like is conquering other civilizations yeah. yeah like he's the one race online that I can't even wrap my head around. He's so insane. It's like, like it's like some it's like a lot of racists, like you know, like not a lot of racists, a lot of reactionaries, like you know, the IDW, like people like Jordan Peterson, like they're like their kind of trajectory and also like they're like they're I want to say ideology because ideology makes it seem like they like like they like, give thought to it when really it's like a series of reflexes that they have, like a series of, re- of reactions they have to like the world around them and like in their growing irrelevance in it. But like you can kind of understand what like where they're coming from. Stefan Molyneux is just fucking insane. It's like you know like like he, like he then like his 
his reactions to the world are so hard to understand that they might as well be coming from a fucking alien i remember when he was arguing about how like not arguing but like he was just fucking online saying about somehow trees were communist or some shit like 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 why like why do socialists want to like curb climate change if trees are going to redistribute like carbon i was like what the fuck are you talking about i was like like, that doesn't even make any like what that doesn't even make any sense the thing is i I don't pay attention i don't pay enough attention to this guy to have an opinion on him one way or the other all I all I see from him, like I haven't watched his videos. I don't really know much about the dude except you know for like his his constant harping on you know the uh, the Crusades and medieval fetishism. But he also harps on IQ, and it's like. But he also harps. But he also he also harps on fucking like on gender too about how like the left is so feminine. But then he posts he posts pictures of himself at Zumba class, uh, like 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 with his, with his like little aerobics. And there's weight. nothing wrong with Zumba class, but it's like dude, there isn't. But like I wouldn't call it traditionally masculine. No. <laughs> You're, you're, you're shaped like a stick of Wrigley's. Like, what are you doing, bro? I, I, I don't know. This, 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 like, and I think this is something that, um, you know, the uh, the left has a uh, a tremendous opportunity to sort of like retake, like to to recapture. Like, if you, uh, hmm, I think oftentimes the concept of masculinity gets easily collapsed in with toxic masculinity. So therefore, we are in a constant retreat of away from things masculine. But there's nothing wrong with masculinity itself. It's just how uh, a matter of how it's expressed. And what and how you use it to dominate other people that that then becomes a problem, but like like the, most of the leftist people that I know are generally like guys who go to the gym, like people who are in shape, people who are professionals, people who are very smart. Like they kind of embody this like a, a, what they talk about being like the Western ideal, like you know, uh, you know, taking care of yourself, taking care of your family, uh, maintaining your intellectual prowess, and so forth. I see that a lot more from people that I know who are on the left. Of you know from like all backgrounds, and and these guys on the right are like intellectually atrophied because they only ever talk to each other and they only ever read each other's work and they they basically get their information from like 4chan copy pasta, and on top of that they 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 don't lift they don't work out. But of course of course they don't lift. I of course they don't. And then the and then like this discussion your final point about like the the black pundit liberal. Uh, op-ed think piece class it's like a lot of that stuff that they write is not for black people at least not black people like that i know no and i just no, this, no, this, no. This, this, this sounds like this sounds like this may sound mean but a lot of that like that bougie black like fucking bullshit is like it's for it's for white people it, it, it's, it's, it's to basically get white a gateway for it's a gateway to the culture for white people is is how i see it because it's like i could like if i go like I, okay i live out in the suburbs now like I, I live out in you know like uh just east of toronto you know so but if i was to go like like back to my old neighborhoods where i used to live and like show this stuff to people in the neighborhood that I know they're going to be like nigga what the fuck is this like why are you showing this to me you know what I mean like, yeah, like, 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 excuse, like, excuse, like oh, what the f- like, like I can't afford yoga nigga what the, what the, fuck, what the fuck are you talking <laughs> no. about like I have rent yeah <laughs> it's just like, it's just like it, but like but no and you're like, like this stuff is it's for two different types of people it's for it's for black people writing about to like it's, it's for like other black pundit class people like for the professionalized black pundit class people maybe you can also maybe loop in like the black public intellectual uh not necessarily your cornell your cornell west type but like more of like your oh you know like, I, like i'm a black you know clint smith public intellectual like this is like you know this is the kind of stuff that we really need and like yeah the like your time, roxanne though, gay types or like i don't know what roxanne gay i don't know who you don't is, know roxanne sorry. gay Oh my gosh! No. Uh, she inf- she infuriates me. I 
Oh well, then I'm glad I don't know who she okay, is. Okay, yeah, the, it's, the, it's the, like the, the, the epitome of the black bourgeoisie. But but like, but here, yeah, the black bourgeoisie. You know, there, there didn't used to be a black bourgeoisie, but now there is, and in some ways, you know, white people, like poor white people, are upset about the, the existence of a black bourgeoisie. Yeah. And you know, but like in black and poor black people are just like the black bourgeoisie don't represent us. But for you know, but they do operate in these spaces where like in like that indexing their blackness, uh, they're able to create. They're able to through articles like yoga is like like uh nigga yoga by you know like <laughs> n-i-g-g-u-h yo, yo, like y-o-g-u-h yeah like, uh, is uh yoga yoga with a soft a uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh um like they're able to sort of like they're able to legitimize themselves within those spaces to other uh, white people but like, that's it, like, it's, that's... It's, it's the kamala it's the kamala harris syndrome really it's like kamala harris exactly kamala, like did you see kamala the, harris did you see the, the kamala harris playlist or whatever the hell that was called oh yeah like her like her bet her favorite music yeah, yeah, yeah that was like she's, she's rattling off music that like nobody of this generation would even know and then like the one the one touch stone like the one thing that she actually like possibly could have gotten right where it's like i'm i've just named this thing and you might actually know who they are which was a tribe called quest right and then she's she completely gets the line wrong she says you know what i'm talking about fife it's like you've never fucking listened to a tribe called quest so you had like you're you're signaling so hard but you do not belong to this class you've never that nigga doesn't, even know fife, doesn't even know a fife dog is dead. they don't even know he did she probably spells fife with an f <laughs> <laughs> I spell Fife. Uh, Fife dog is spelled F I F E. Um, uh, like Fife will goes west. That's yeah. a great movie. Love Fife will D O G G. Yeah. Like, uh, no, no, no. D A W T. Like, you're, you're like no nigga, calm down. Yeah. Like, she's like she's but, but but like but her blackness isn't for our consumption. It's like black people aren't voting for Kamala Harris. No, that's, it's that's, just that's so why, that that's why it's, that's why the Nate Silver thing kind of like kind of like freaked not freaked me out, but I was she was like oh like you know she's not appealing to black people because black people are more moderate and you know more moderate. I was like no, I think like, I, like, I I take offense to the fact that she's not racist enough for black people, which may or may not be true, but yeah. <laughs> but like at least not black Democrat, at least black Democrats. But at the same time, like have you ever considered that reason Kamala Harris is the pill of black people is because Kamala Harris's blackness is not for black consumption. Like Kamala Harris, Kamala Harris's blackness is so that white people who white white liberals who vote for Kamala Harris who like who are able to vote entirely based on identity are like are able to tell their friends that they voted that they, that they support a black a black woman for president. I'll tell you what, this, they, this, they, that's, like, that's, that's, that's 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 her main appeal within this race. Besides, like also being like the law and order candidate, but it's just like niggas don't care. If she's black. It's like what like what is that supposed to do for me? The central conceit like, of Kamala Harris's candidacy and by i'm just going to correct you it's actually kamala because uh, that she was named by her indian mom and, and that's people i i i have a, th- a running theory that people say kamala because their introduction to the name kamala was through the wwf wrestler do you remember kamala the, no i just i've just never heard it Savage. okay yeah but it's, it's actually kamala um oh, kamala uh, kamala I'm not gonna get that right. <laughs> Imagine <laughs> I'm like it's spelled K A M L A Kamala, but uh, um, so sh- her. I have a speech impediment. Are you? Are you saying? <laughs> you, you, you need to stop. You try. You try Listen, to fuck I, me up on my own okay. show. If you're from the, if you're of a Caribbean background like I do, like uh, there, you know, the West, the West Indies is called the West Indies for a reason. So there's a there's a very high proximity of black people and and like people of Indian descent. You know, so this is this is how we generally learn these things. Like if you know somebody who's from Trinidad, like they're probably not only, um, you know, very close to Indian culture, but are probably of Indian culture. But that that all being said, her central conceit, and you're right,
right. She does. Uh, she's there to appeal to whiteness and to allow white people to vote uh, for a like a like a milk toast, but yet like tough on black people centrist without feeling guilty about it. Her her actual conceit is uh, I don't even think it's there for. Um, for appeal to white people. I think what it's there for, uh, even more so, is like carrying on the tradition of telling black people that they have to be punished in order to be refined. Like we have to beat the niggerdom out of them in order for them to be fully self-actualized human beings. Like her her record as a DA is just fucking atrocious. And, you know, anytime that you've ever heard her talk about or, or try to defend her record, she doesn't make any apologies for it or she tries to defend like why she came to the reasoning that she did. But there is a very strong strain in black conservatism that um, carceral politics are necessary to purify us of our of our pathologies. So like if you don't, you know, get your kids to school on time or if your kids, are, your kids aren't showing up to school, if you're uh, smoking weed, if you, you know, get caught, uh, not necessarily committing a crime, but you're, al- you're riding in the same car as somebody who is either wanted or has just committed a crime all of this i all of this is basically there to like uh reify the idea of criminality as a black trait that has to be expunged from the body politic and if you vote for that as a white person you're you're essentially saying like we were right all along but what she exists to do is to remove your guilt for uh for for reinforcing those notions Oh, exactly. And I mean, what you're saying is round the money, right? I think that broadly speaking, there are two things in play, right? Like we have like a pseudo or rather a secularized Christian dogma surrounding punishment uh, and what it takes to sort of be saved Mm -hmm. is heavily is is heavily. uh, Well, it's heavily uh, embedded with the Protestant work ethic. Actually, I'm not sure if you've read uh, Weber, like Weber's, uh, uh, what you call it, uh, Spirit of Capitalism in a Protestant work. uh, Sorry. Yes. uh, And actually, so that was referenced in this book that was written in 1999, I believe, by Jim Zedanius and Felicia (coughs) Prado. It was called Social Dominance. And what they found was that, and uh, that was actually the reference uh, that came up in the book. Um, What they what they found was that um, if so, there's there's basically like uh, there's two indices like there's there's two uh lenses through which you can view uh subordinate groups one is humanitarian egalitarian i.e this group is downtrodden and oppressed and i feel like it's my responsibility to make society more equal so that they can not only rise up from oppression but be considered human just like me there is that humanitarian egalitarian drive within people but then there's also the protestant work ethic drive but the thing is these the the, the higher that you score on the protestant work ethic index the more likely you are to have reactionary racist thoughts. The funny thing about liberals, though, is that they rank very high on both. Black people are to be pitied, but and at the same time, they're to be reviled for the uh, the pathologies that surround them. And it's our responsibility to purify them of those pathologies in order that they can be more like us. Like, it is also the idea, too, and this is like a deep, deep neoconservative idea, and that, you know, despite people being liberal, more or less, or identifying as liberal, or even sort of aligning as liberal, their uh, neoconservatism is, of course, hegemonic, so people still believe parts of it, right? Yeah. You know, at least there's a, there's a grain of it that in everyone's brain, unless they're actively fighting it, or or rather, you know, actively... Oh, it's of, like uh, it's wrapped around your second. brainstem, like yeah. some yeah, yeah. like some retrovirus. It, yeah, and of course, and part of neoliberalism, even when you're in sorry, neoconservatism, even when you're, at, you know, at home domestic speaking, you know, and it definitely appeals to foreign policy, right? Is that like brown people ex- need like their spaces, their like they need to be cardened off and they need to be occupied, and that's and that's what they need, right? In order for not only for them to, like you said, to sort of have the body politic, you know, to be 
to be to like to be whipped into submission in terms of whipped into shape but also that's what society needs to be safe right the, the idea that uh, you know that that the world is safer when brown countries and brown areas are occupied by like a heavy military force and that they need that too is deeply embedded within our society on this you know cause, because like that's what they need to become become virtuous that's what society needs to be safe right that's the war on drugs that's the war on crime that's like that's that, that that's like that's sort of that's one of the underlying ideologies or mentalities behind our policing secondarily speaking uh like it's it's hard like like I'm I'm not I don't know what I'm I'm not familiar with the work that you that you just referenced the indices of that but for me what that what that speaks to is the fact that a lot of the ways that we talk about you know our society and how we want to fight inequality or rather you know or rather the 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 base the the very task and the very goal of fighting inequality is hamstrung by neoliberalism and the idea of individualism like yeah you like or, or rather the idea that we operate as individuals yeah you can believe. In some senses, that like black people are to be pitied, or like they are to be lifted up and to be, you know, to be ma- matched and sort of made equal to whatever, you know, the white person or you know, whatever. But that kind of logic, the sort of like the, the widespread sort of the social, or rather the widespread societal program necessarily to do that, or even like the underlying logic of people being equal. Like either socially or materially to you doesn't actually make sense within a, a, a neoliberal framework of like of thinking about the world right because for i mean I, i'll be perfectly honest just like if you believe that as neoliberals do as neoliberals have conditioned us to believe that everything's a competition that like that, like, that we're that we're competing for jobs that like that that, that like as i as a white person or i as a man am competing with a black person or woman for a job the idea that you would want to make them you know equal to you in the eyes of the job of the you know of the hirer of the manager of the landlord of anyone who's like any dominant any person above dominance or who like you're comp- like as anything that you're competing for because society has finite resources doesn't actually make much sense right it doesn't make sense like on like on an instinctual level it's only when you start thinking about society as like a society as not like as society not as a series of individuals who are all out for themselves and that's what makes society a good place but society as like uh, a conglomeration of individuals who need to work together yeah. in order to like to reach their full potential that a lot of the things that a lot of the goals that liberals profess to have like oh equal equal rights for women equal rights for men equal you know uh uh the abolition of poly of not abolition, but like the eradication of poverty, the eradication of homelessness, the eradication of 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 sort of um starvation, of being hungry. Like those things don't actually make sense under neo under uh, under the neoliberal framework. They don't make sense. I mean, obviously, a lot of times they 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 frame these things like they frame racism or sexism or homelessness or like extreme poverty as like excesses of capitalism. And I don't want to get like I don't want to be accused of class reductionism, but like a lot of these things, like you know, if not directly they are mostly just functions of people competing for resources and internalizing that 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 like that's the way things have to be. Like people will um, buy I, I, uh, AirPods, uh, put them in their ears, wear them for like a year, and then they don't, they don't work anymore. And there's just no way, safe way to recycle them. Like they, you can't put them in the recycling bin or you can't put them in the trash because they can cause garbage compactor fires. You can't, uh, you know, pry them apart and take out the lithium ion batteries because they're glued together. Like there's, these things are going to be, you know, in the crust of the earth for the next 
thousand or so years before they even begin to break down. But it's like, but that's like, and, and you know, what it takes to actually put that product together in the first place. So we're so far removed from the origins of the product, i.e. like the, the mining for the actual raw min, uh, materials that go into the manufacture of the AirPods. And we're so far removed from the end lifespan of the product. It is like, that's pretty much how capitalism works. It's like to give us the moment by moment snapshot of what life is supposed to be like and to be able to pine for an egalitarianism at some point in the future. But we're so far removed, like we're so temporally removed from the origins of uh, what created our culture. And we're so distant from uh, from actual egalitarianism that you can't actually do anything. All you can do is consume. You're paralyzed by the fact that there, you have no power under the system to affect any change whatsoever, to change the material conditions of the people that you hurt or the people that you're going to hurt. So you may as well just buy shit. I agree. I'm sorry, that was a lot. No, no, it's fine. We're just going to end on that because it's really, 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 <laughs> we've been going on for a long time. <laughs> okay, <laughs> sounds good. Thank you for joining me. I had a great time. Tell everyone where they can find your work. Um, yeah, so I'm a, uh, a contributing editor for McLean's Magazine. Uh, so if you were to go to McLean's, you'll find uh, my uh, my articles posted there. Um, also a regular contributor to The Globe and Mail. Um, and that's about it. Aside from that, you can find me heavy on these Twitter streets. Yeah,